So let's say you take an unexpected trip to China. And while you're there, you get homesick for some good old American fast food. Okay? And driving down the street, you spot what looks like a 7-Eleven. I think I have a picture of this. And you pull in for a Slurpee, and then you notice, that's not a 7-Eleven, that's a 7-Twelve. That won't work. Maybe I can find a Dairy Queen instead and get a blizzard. So you make your way down the road, finding what looks like a Dairy Queen, but instead you discover it's a Dairy Fairy. And Dairy Fairies serve something. They don't have blizzards. They have something called an ice storm. I bet that's traumatizing for all of us, right? No, I'm not taking the ice storm. I'll pass on that. I'd rather have a blizzard. (laughs) So you get one. You get an ice storm just for nostalgia's sake, and you choke it down. But the burgers at Dairy Ferry, they're a little questionable. So you think, maybe I can find a Big Mac. So you, you make your way. You head down the street, and you're looking for and you say, oh, is that a McDonald's? You pull up, and it's a Mac Dack. And it's really weird because MacDack has the arches, but then it has this, this duck bill on it. And in the mouth of the duck bill, it, writes, it, it wrote McDuck, which is weird because it's like, is Scrooge McDuck their, uh, you know, all the, the old Scrooge McDuckers out there? Is he their mascot? What is this? And then you're standing out MacDack and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then you're like, is that a Pizza Hut? And you squint and you look out and you're like, no, that's a Pizza Hat. That doesn't sound too appealing. And you're like, well, I could really go for some fried chicken. So you punch in on your map app, KFC, and it returns OFC, and you think, well, maybe that's a typo. You get the map, and and you're there in no time. And you pull up, and and the KFC, the sign looks like a KFC, but it reads UFO. (laughs) UFO. You get out, and you ask the guy, dressed like a, the guy dressed like a chef, is this supposed to be a KFC? What is this? Like, it came up on my app. And he said, no, it used to be an OFC because it used to be Obama fried chicken before that got too much notoriety, and they had to change it back to, U- change it to UFO. So uh, chicken from an alien spaceship was out of the question. So, and then you're like, is that another Pizza Hut? And you make your way across the street, because I could really go for some pizza. And you look at the Pizza Hut, and you discover it's not a Pizza Hut, it's a Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. That's one of my favorite, Pizza Hut. And you're starving, so you go and you get a slice of pizza, because you can't wait. And as you're finishing your pizza, you look out, and you spot what looks like a Dunkin' Donuts. And you go, I could really go for a coffee and a donut as dessert. I think that's a really, really good plan. And so you, get, you, get, you finish your pizza, you go across the street for dessert, and as you approach it, you make out the words a little more clearly, and you discover it's donkey donuts, not Dunkin' Donuts. And you go, oh well. And as you go in, you say, what, what the hey? I've had an ice storm from Dairy Fairy. I've had a pizza from Pizza Hut. Why not a donut from Donkey Donuts? So yes, these places are all real. They all really exist. But although at first glance they may look like the real thing, after closer inspection you discover they're fakes. They're fakes. And you would be astonished if someone came up to, and defended to you that MacDack is actually McDonald's. 
and that McDonald's is not really the real thing. Or Pizza Hut is really Pizza Hut, and Pizza Hut's the fake. You would be astonished at that. You're like, what are you talking about? Donkey Donuts is not the real thing. It's Dunkin' Donuts. And that's exactly where Paul is at in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through, through 9. No, he's not dealing with the issue of fake restaurants, but something more serious. He's dealing with the fact that the Galatians are buying a counterfeit gospel and defending it as the real gospel and rejecting the real gospel. So although this is funny with restaurants, it's not funny when it comes to the gospel, is it? So following Paul's credentials and his blessing for these churches, Paul skips his usual thankfulness for the people he's writing to. Usually he'd be like, I'm so thankful for you. He skips right over that, and he goes right to reprimand. Right to reprimand. And he's reprimanding the Galatians because what's going on is serious and must be addressed. Now remember, Paul isn't being mean here. He's not just picking on somebody. He's doing this because he loves, remember? He loves these people. He loves these multiple churches across the area of Galatia that he's writing to. And he has personally invested in them, and he wants their best. Paul has, he's the one that planted these churches, and he went back on successive missionary journeys, and in those return journeys, he poured into these people, and he loves these people, and it's breaking his heart to see what's going on in these churches. And so Proverbs has a a couple verses that actually speak well to Paul's heart. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Translation. We'll have the verses here on the screen. But, but it, this best describes Paul's sharp tone in these verses, these verses 6 through 9 in Galatians. And it reads this way. Better is an open reprimand of loving correction than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. Now, just as a side note, with this particular set of verses, if we feel the need, like Paul, to speak a hard word of correction, before we do, we should ask ourselves, am I doing this out of love and concern for the other person? Am I wanting what's best for them? Or is it more about my agenda and what's good for me? This is important to understand. Because if your heart is to love and correct, you will do whatever, and that's really a true definition of love. Doing the best for somebody and doing it even if it causes hurt, but you're doing it because you want to see them grow and be better and mature and and improve in their walk with Jesus. But if you're doing it just because they're irritating and annoying you, all you're doing is wounding them. You're not helping them at all. So how we answer this question, how we answer if we're doing it for their best, their love, or their concern, or if we're doing it out of our own frustrations, will determine if we help our friend or if we turn our attention to ourselves and work through our own issue. Because if it's irritation and frustration with us, it's our own issue. It's our own problem, and we need to work through it. And Paul, in this particular scenario, knows what he's sharing is for the Galatians' best. 
And he begins in, Galatians 1, in Galatians 1.6 from the English Standard. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And I think astonished is a great word. Like, oh, I'm astonished. Like, oh, surprise. But I don't think you really get the sense and amplified adds some words that help us. Like, just where Paul is. Paul is spicy. Paul is spicy. This is the Amplified. He says, I'm astonished and extremely irritated that you are so quickly shifting your allegiance and deserting. You feel it? Like, he's not just like, oh. He's like, oh, what are you doing? No, we're not going to do this. And so he's surprised and he's upset. Why? Because the Galatians are being swept away by a fake fad, knockoff gospel. And it's a fake, fad, knockoff gospel, knockoff teaching that the legalists who came in, the Judaizers, are selling. And they, the Galatians have most, not, most likely not checked in with Paul as far as it relates to the validity of this message. But the thing that's beautiful is that that word deserting in that verse, that word deserting is a present tense word. They've started to turn, but they're not fully there yet. They're in the middle of it, and Paul is trying to get them in the middle of that turn to turn them back to where they should be. When you start to see a a brother or a sister or a friend or someone you love deeply start to turn the wrong direction, you step in and you intervene, don't you? Because you do it because you, you don't want to see them go off whatever cliff you may see them headed for. So this word deserting is present tense and it's, they're in the process of it. And that's why Paul is writing this reprimand. That's why he's writing this letter. He's writing these things that he is hoping it will stop them from switching allegiance. He's hoping to shift them, to, to keep them from running off the cliff, so to speak. I mean, I remember one time we were at Mount Rushmore and Jonas was very, very little. And he didn't have an awareness of cliffs. And he started going for one full blast. And I mean, just grab him, right? He was in the process, present tense, of running toward a cliff. And as a dad, the most loving thing I could do was to grab him, even if it was firmly and with force, to keep him from going off of that cliff, right? Now, it's interesting in this verse, it says, you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And that is why Paul is writing this reprimand, because they are turning away from him who called them, and this call is not Paul. Paul didn't call them. God called them. God called them through through his word and through the things that he was sharing with him. And so it's God who's making this call for them to live in the grace of Christ. But this call, and this is important, this call was not separate of Paul. I mean, do you pray prayers like, God, if you just work in spite of me? No. He doesn't work in spite of you. He desires to work through you. And God's call to the Galatians came through Paul. It wasn't Paul making the call, but it was Paul the vessel being used of God to communicate the message of the truth 
of the gospel. And so God works through those who are his. God works through those who are his. And those who have willingly laid down their lives for him to work through. God is seen in this world, sometimes in miracles, sometimes in nature, but his preferred path for being seen in this world is through you. You are the avenue by which the life of Jesus can be seen in this world. And that wasn't in my notes, so somebody needed to hear that, or multiple somebodies needed to hear that. You are the avenue. You are the light. When you show up in what you do, whether it's work, retirement, uh, being a mom or a dad, uh, going to get coffee at Starbucks, going to the grocery store, you are bringing the life of Jesus to that place. You are the vessel. You are the carrier. So what call did God make through Paul? It was for the Galatians to live in the grace of Jesus. And grace is a word we've already seen a lot. Grace is a word that has a meaning of favor, undeserved favor. It's the idea of what Jesus did made us totally acceptable with God. There's nothing more we have to do for God to say, you're okay with me. You're right with me. That's what the word righteous means, right with God. Jesus made you right with God. You're okay. But see, sometimes I think we get this idea that grace is just for getting me in. It's just for saving me. But we don't realize that grace is also for living. It's our foundation. Grace is what gives us strength. It's what empowers us. It's what enables us to suffer. Grace is the lifeblood of us as Christians. Grace is the empowerment, the ability. It's not just, oh, you're gracious and nice. It, it, it's a force, it's a strength. And grace is not just a thing that you can Grace is a person. Grace is the person of Jesus. Through our Christmas series, we talked about Jesus is. He's king, shepherd, life, peace, all those things. You know what we can add? Jesus is grace. Jesus is grace. And you don't have grace apart from a relationship with Jesus. No matter how hard you try and no matter what you do, you'll never have grace apart from Jesus. Ever. But see, what's sad is the Galatians were turning from this message of grace. They were turning, from what, uh, uh, turning away from Jesus and, and what, to what Paul calls a different gospel. And I love it in the NIV at the start of verse 7. He says, really, it's no gospel at all. This different gospel, wait, no, it's no gospel at all. It's, it's a fake. It's a phony. And so it might be worth pointing out, maybe you guys don't, but gospel is one of those other Christian words that we use a lot. Maybe you don't know what that word means. That word simply means good news. That's all it means. It's a message of good news. Jesus coming and offering us rightness and okayness with God and grace and the empowerment and the ability to live is good news. And it's good news that your sins are forgiven and you get to go to heaven someday, but it's even greater news that he has empowered you to live in this very moment where you're, you're in this life now with whatever you're facing. 
He's the one walking you through and empowering you in the middle of all of it. That is good news. And it is not good news for us to be living or the Galatians to be living this other no gospel message. Basically by saying it's no gospel, it's it's not good news. This other message you're hearing is not the good news. And so what is this other message? And you guys have heard a lot of this, but we're just going to keep digging in deeper because the further we go in, Paul keeps laying out what this stuff is. And what he's laying out is that this message is one based on the law. And it's based on the law in this way. Believe the facts about Jesus. Believe that he died, believe that he rose again, and believe that you're saved. Believe those facts. Okay, that's good, you got those facts. Now let's move those aside and let's get busy. And we're gonna get busy, and we're gonna get busy keeping the law to hopefully maybe remain saved. And to be right with God and to make sure he's happy with us. That's the trick. Oh yeah, we like Jesus. We'll get you in with Jesus and then we're going to kind of push him aside. Now you're going to perform and do good and try, try to keep your salvation from, from weighing in the balance and God's kind of going like, oh, I don't know how you did today. I might... I mean, I shared this in my sort of prelude before we started the book. Is God a cosmic codependent? Is he so dependent upon us to perform right that if we don't perform right, he goes, oh, I think my day is ruined. If you remember in Acts 17, I think it's verse 25, it says, God doesn't need a thing. He gives all things. But we come like he needs things all the time, and that's what the Galatians were coming. God needs me to do this, and that's what the the false teachers were bringing. God needs me to perform. And if I don't, he won't be happy with me. And the sad thing is, and the reason this book gets in our business, because a flavor of this still exists today. It creeps up and down the aisles of our, of our churches. Yeah, you're a, you, Jesus can save you, but now you've got to do something. Now you've got to perform. Now you've got to measure up. And again, I've said a lot. There's doing that's involved in the Christian life, and we'll get there. But you have to settle this first because the doing you'll do if you don't settle this is going to be something that's going to be trying to make up for some lack that you think exists in the work of Jesus. And that's a problem. And so a flavor of this idea sneaks up and down the aisles of our our churches. And And what it does is it tries to reach spiritual perfection in our own effort. It tries to reach spiritual perfection in our own effort. And it sounds good. And it sounds spiritual. It has to. Because the Galatians wouldn't have bought it. If it sounded not so good, why would they? Like, they wouldn't buy it. And it wouldn't still be hanging around today if it didn't sound good. See, and the warning is that not every good And spiritual-looking quest is necessarily a quest for God. I'll say that again, because that is big. Every good and spiritual-looking quest isn't necessarily a quest for God. You can do a lot of spiritually good-looking things and have no thought to God at all. We see it in our society all the time through different 
works in our society to care for different, uh, you know, displaced people, to care for people who need food, to care for children who are struggling. It's there, but it's not necessarily done in a way that says, how do we learn to grow and, and become who we are and who God intended us to be? And so Paul's message, and I want you, I've got this up on the screen here. Paul's message is one that this, this is Paul's message, which is the gospel message, is a message that's of grace. And grace equals God's power. And grace equals by the Spirit. We're going to see in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. And it equals be to do. And maybe you don't understand that. Let me explain it a little bit. Who you are by grace through Jesus is what infuses you and empowers you to live the life that God intended. In in Corinthians, I think it's the the second book, it says those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. And that joining is one that can't be broken apart. And it's through that joining to him where the Holy Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us and is working in us and then desires to work out through us to those around us. And so understanding your being, understanding who you are, is what then influences what you do. Okay? And maybe this will make more sense as we look to the opposition. But but this, this one right here is something I've been talking about from day one. Actually, I was talking about it in my interview process. Our life as believers begins from the inside out. Not the outside in. And that will be the other one we'll look at here, which is the Judaizers' message, the wolves, the false teachers. Theirs is one of not grace, but law. And not God's power, but our power. And not by the Spirit, but by the flesh. Chapter 5, before we get to the fruits of the Spirit, we'll look at the works of the flesh. And the flesh is an insidious thing and it's something we need to understand as Christians because it's one of our biggest enemies and very rarely all. I went around to the ministry I was a part of for years and I taught a whole section on the flesh and I'd ask people, how many of you have ever heard, well, let's just ask today, how many of you have ever heard a message on the flesh? A couple? And it's okay, I really, like, a few. This is the number one enemy as a Christian and most people have never heard about it. You're defeated before you ever start. It's part of the reason we're going through this book because if you don't understand what the flesh is, you'll never be able to live the life that God intended you to. And so by the flesh, and in this model, in law equals our power, which is by the flesh, is a model of doing to become something, to be. Instead of being what Jesus made you and now performing out of that because he's the one in the empower and the force to do so, you now are doing something to try to become something that you aren't or lacking. You're trying to fill a void which doesn't exist as a Christian. This is trying to do external outside efforts to try to make the inside okay. This is why Jesus went to the Pharisees and said, you whitewashed tombs. Do you know what he meant? You're all clean and pretty on the outside, but you know what exists inside? Death. Death. But if you're a believer in Christ, do you know what happened? The old dead part of you that existed was taken out 
and a new spiritual condition was put in and it was joined to the Holy Spirit and now there's life inside that is now to work out through you and to bring life to the outside. But if you don't understand that, you're going to you're going to have this nice looking clean outside and you're going to be trying to make up for the what you think is death on the inside. That's an outside in work. It doesn't work. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just help these people. I know this is hard to grapple with, but that you would help them understand this. Because this is this seems subtle, but it's huge. It's huge. So it's a being, an existence that motivates action versus a, a, a set of action trying to create being. And guess what? You were meant to be a human being, not a human doing. Tracking? Hopefully? If not, just Lord, the Holy Spirit is able to teach you all things. It says that in the book of John. <laughs> I, I will we'll just keep going. Hopefully the lights go on. So what Paul wanted the Galatians to know and what he would also want us to know is summed up in our one big idea today. The one big idea is that God called us to live in grace through Jesus. And not by the law in our own effort. God called us to live in grace through Jesus and not by the law in our own effort. And this can be difficult to understand because we look at the whole of Scripture and if we don't realize that there's movements within Scripture that God laid out to help us understand things and if we just think it all as one thing that's applicable for us as New Testament Christians, then we struggle. Because we'll look at stuff in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and we'll try to live those things like the Ten Commandments. And the reality is that we have to understand that that first section of Scripture was there to reveal the insufficiency of the law to make life work. And then we have Jesus, who is sort of this bridge between the old and the new. And Jesus continues to point back to the old and reveal its failings. Oh, you want to just forgive seven times? No, let's go 77 times. Seven. Like, let's push the law so far it's beyond your ability to ever measure up. Oh, be, you want to be good? Well, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Nobody's going to ever meet that. Jesus was loading that group of people up to say, you think you've figured out the law? You're not even close. And when you begin to understand that, you realize, grace, please. <laughs> Lord, grace, please. And then we have the new covenant, which is post-Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, which is what Paul is talking about, what he's writing to, and he's trying to undo this return back. So God called us to live in grace through Jesus and not by the law in our own effort. With that as Paul's main focus, he continues on in Galatians 1.7. Not that there is another one, but there, is, there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. So he concludes in verse, in verse, in verse end of verse 6, you see the long dash. Paul's going to add an additional thought in the NIV that there's no gospel. This is, not a, this is a no gospel. The gospel that I'm saying is a different gospel, it's a no gospel. That's what he's saying at the beginning of verse 7. And then he explains following the fact that there's no different gospel, he explains that he believes the Galatians have been led to believe why he believes they've been led to believe this fake message. 
And the NIV rendering of the second uh, part of seven is helpful, so we'll look at that. It says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Evidently, some are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The some people are the false teachers that the, the Galatians are abandoning God and Jesus for. That's where this all started. I'm astonishing that you're rejecting Jesus and God for these teachers. Why? Are you kidding? Why would you give up McDonald's for MacDack? Dairy Queen for Dairy Fairy. Why would you do that? Dunkin' Donuts for Donkey Donuts. Really? I mean, unless you're a big Shrek fan. They're doing it because they've been thrown into confusion. And that word confusion is really interesting. It's this idea of perplexed, brought to unrest, troubling. It's the same word if you've read the Christmas story where Herod is troubled over Jesus' birth. It's the same word the disciples of the disciples when they're on the water and the storms are blowing all over. They're, they're confused, they're per, per, perplexed, unrest, troubled. That's what happened. The Galatians got whipped up. And Paul's been reminding them, as we saw last week, and he's continuing to remind them now, that the gospel, the message of grace, do you remember what the gospel, the message of grace is to lead to? Peace. Not confusion. Remember his opening? Grace and peace to you. And he shared the same sentiment with the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14.33, I love this verse. For God is not a God of confusion, but wouldn't, don't you, wouldn't you expect it to say, but the God of right thinking, ordered thinking, performance, something? God is not a, a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He's a God of peace. And so if the message that has been shared with you ultimately causes confusion, if it ultimately leads to perplexing, troubling thoughts, and it doesn't bring about peace, then that message is not from God. And God has nothing to do with it. Now, it doesn't mean as you begin to wrestle with the gospel early on that you aren't going to feel confused at times. And you're not going to wrestle with things. Maybe some of the things I'm saying to you this morning are creating some confusion. Or maybe you feel like your brain's being flipped up out of your head, turned around, and put in backwards. When I began to learn this stuff, that's how I felt. But I know that ultimately, if you stick with it, it's going to bring you to a place of peace. But if it left you in a place of confusion, that is not the gospel. His ultimate driver, even if there's some confusion along the way, is to bring you to a place of peace, which is restedness. Restedness. So the gospel message, the message should bring you peace. And if it's not that, then it's not a message from God and God has nothing to do with it. Even, and listen to me, if, if you have a message that's bringing an ultimate end of confusion and God's name is being slapped on it and the law is being linked to it, just because his name is on it and his law is being used does not mean it's him. And that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were saying, this message is from God. This is his law. And as we saw last week, Paul said, Jesus eclipsed that. He's far better than that. 
he, he made a new way. You don't have to go back here. And he's animated about it because that is the perversion of the gospel message. It, perversion, in, in the NIV, the perversion, that word means to reverse. So what the gospel should be is that it should be a message of law that drives us to a need for Jesus and we give ourselves to Jesus. We'll see that in Galatians 3. But instead, what the Judaizers are teaching, reverse that and says it's law to get to God and Jesus. You see it? Perform and you'll maybe reach spiritual perfection and attainment and connection to God. Do to become. Rather than the law drove you to need Jesus and you said, I don't have it. Jesus is it. And then as you begin to learn and understand that, that changes you and then different things begin to come out. So this idea of a perverted gospel is a reverse. It is going from Jesus to the law, which should never be. It should be the law that leads us to Jesus. And so Paul's being gentle here in his rebuke. He's giving the Galatians the benefit of the doubt. He's thinking maybe they've been lured and manipulated into beliefs by being perplexed and confused by these false teachers. So he's like, understand, maybe, you, maybe you've been kind of duped into this. Maybe you've been left to sort of figure it out. And who knows? I mean, fear is a big play in this, right? I'm not really sure that you're okay with God. Well, I better get doing something. Right? As soon as you feel that fear, right? The, I gotta do, huh, or I'm gonna, huh. But the gentleness that he shares in verse 7 is going to give way to strong language as Paul shifts to wage war against the wolves and their false teaching. It's going to be strong language. And he does so, remember, because he loves truth, but he doesn't just love truth by itself. He loves people. Ministry is about people. It's not about theology. It's not about doctrine. Yes, that's important. But if you make theology more and doctrine more important than people, you've missed the point. Your theology and doctrine should lead you to people and lead you to love people. Even if they're really hard to love. And I have those. So Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is strong. Paul puts everyone on blast. (laughs) He just, everyone's on blast. Everyone's on notice, including himself, those with him, and angels. (laughs) Puts them all on blast. And what he's doing is he's making the most extreme case here. What's the most extreme case? Well, it would be expected that he and those he's with and angels would never preach a false gospel. So if you have even that worst case, anybody lesser gets lumped in as well. If any of those people preach a false message, then they should be accursed. In the NIV, it actually says they should be under God's curse. That's, that's not playing around. That's not like, oh, they should just get a ruler across the hands. They should just get a, you get a timeout. 
No. This is a big deal. This word curse is to be dedicated to destruction and divine retribution. This is serious business. And Paul is pulling no punches. Now, I want to be really clear. Paul's not being intolerant of some minor preferential issue here. This isn't carpet color in the sanctuary or in the building. This isn't uh, whether we do hymns or modern music. This isn't um, uh, pews versus chairs. Have I hit one for you? (laughs) Real wine versus juice in communion. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that have a level of preferential, but that's not what Paul's dealing with here. He's not cursing people for preferential treatment. He's cursing people for destroying the central message of the gospel. Watering down the gospel message. And he'll have nothing to do with that. Nothing. So he repeats himself in Galatians 1.9. And he, uh, he says, And we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He said it twice. When Paul says things twice, when he writes them twice, he's saying, sit up and pay attention. This is extremely important. Don't miss this. And he's doing it in a very strong way. And he's clear that any other message contrary to that contrary to what you've heard from him originally, should not be listened to. So Paul's giving permission to the Galatians to go, la, 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 I don't want to hear. Big deal. And he's saying, don't listen. He's giving permission to not listen to these false gospels. And he's saying, especially the ones that look so close to the real thing. The so close to the real thing is a mix of law and grace. It seems right. It seems good. It feels good. But see, law and grace should never be mixed. When it is, there's no longer a gospel. There's no longer good news. It negates the the good news in all that Jesus did. That's a big deal. And those who mix that should be cursed. It's the same word Paul uses in the previous verse, but it doesn't mean just dedicated to destruction. It doesn't mean just divine retribution. This is going to sound like I swear, but it's the proper use of the word. The word literally means to be damned. This is, I just want you to get the, the, the to just utter like disgust at this and the, the, the force with which Paul is coming against this so much that I'm spitting. I'm sorry. That they be damned and condemned by God to suffer eternal, uh, eternal punishment. He's not playing patty cake here. This is serious. Why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because when you mingle law and grace, you're saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough. And that we must add to what he did. We must add to his finished work, and that sounds pretty dangerous to me. That's like saying, okay, Jesus covered 75%, I'll take care of the other 25. I mean, on the cross, and we're going to look at this at Easter, just a little sneak peek, 
Did Jesus say, hey, I'm mostly done. It's mostly okay. Part of the way there, we'll, I'll leave the rest for you guys to figure it out, finish up. What did he say? Anyone? It is finished. There isn't anything more that needs to be done. The one thing is our response to it. So how does Paul's words to the Galatians in verses 6 through 9 translate to us? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, the first question is, are you a Christian? Have you given yourself to Jesus? I've said it earlier, you can't experience grace apart from a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't given yourself to Jesus, that's the first step. No matter what you do apart from him, will never give you anything. It requires an entry into relationship with Jesus first. And he's a gentleman. He's not going to forcibly come in and take over you and make you do things. He will say, here's what I offer. Will you respond? And so are you a Christian? And if that's unclear, that's the first step. And please, talk with me. Talk with Bruce, who's not in the room, with our elders. Brad's back here. Just raise your hand, Brad. Brad's here. He'd be willing to talk to you. I'll talk to you because maybe I'm a little intimidating because I'm on stage, whatever. I'm not used to that part of it. I'm like, hey, I'm just a guy, but I know, I get it. But talk to me, talk to somebody. If you're female, we have females that would be willing to talk to you. Those of you online, if you're in the chat, talk with your host. They would be glad to talk to you about that. So the first, the first issue is to become a Christian. But once we are Christians, then the next matter is that we should learn from what Paul shared with us is, to, is this idea that we are called to live in grace through Jesus Christ. God's call is for us to live in grace through Jesus Christ. And so the, the question or the thought for us is, is there any area that we are living by the law in our own effort mixing law and grace? Have we been mingling these two things together? Have we maybe felt like it's okay? And I, I would give some thoughts here to help you sort of determine maybe where this issue's coming from. Maybe the first thing is that you didn't know that law and grace being mixed was an issue. It's all in the Bible. It's all there. And as we go through Galatians, you'll see the purpose of the old pushing to the new. Paul does an excellent job at addressing that. But maybe you didn't realize that. And maybe this is new to you. Or maybe you thought that grace was only for saving, only to get you in. And maybe you didn't know that it's also for living the Christian life. Grace isn't just for saving, it's for living. Or maybe you understood what it meant to live by grace at some point. Maybe you understood what it meant to live by grace through Jesus. But life happened and you struggled, and maybe others brought you into confusion, and you've slipped back to living under law. Maybe this is just all new to you, too. Maybe this is, maybe you're new to the faith, and you're just learning, and that's okay. But in each of these cases, kind of taking Paul's 
tact and, and, and being um, gracious in the fact that you may not know, but hopefully Paul's words have shined light on where law can be found at a place in your, li- in your life. Maybe Paul's words have helped you go, oh, I've been living by law here, and that's a problem. So your prayer, my prayer for you, and maybe a prayer that you could join in, and, and feel free to scribble this down. Father, show me my law living. Show me how I've been living by the law. And then what our theme is for the whole, this whole series, free me from it. Free me from the law. Later in Galatians, the sort of focal point verse of this whole verse, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Where have I been living by law? Free me from it and teach me to live in your grace. Teach me to live in your grace. Where have I been living by law? Free me from it and teach me to live by your grace. Now these are, those were the benefit, the benefit of the doubt options, but there's one other. And so the one other, again, I want to be very cautious here, but if I've been really stepping on your toes, if I've been really kind of maybe irking you a little bit, not as a finger at, but an arm around brother or sister, you may be more in line with the Judaizers than you are with Jesus. And I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be rude. I say that because I love you and because I want what's best for you. And so you might be more in line with those false teachers than with the Galatians. And Paul's words say that that's extremely dangerous territory to live. Now I want to be real clear here. If you find yourself in that space and your eyes are open to that, praise the Lord. And realize that although Paul would say, let those people be under the curse, those are people who are vehemently defending that and not turning and repenting. If you go, oh my gosh, I've been living this way. Set me free. And you start to turn and go a different direction. You're not cursed. You're not beyond hope. If you're willing to turn, repentance means turn and go a different direction. You're not beyond hope. You're not cursed. But it does require repentance. It does require turning and going a different direction. And so your prayer is very similar, but the first line. Father, I've loved the law more than your grace. Father, I've loved the law more than your grace. but I now turn my back on it. I turn my back on it, and I ask you to free me from it and to teach me to live in your grace. I've loved the law more than your grace. I choose to turn my back on it. That's an activation of your will. Free me from it, what he can do, and teach me to walk in your grace. It's a great, those are great prayers. And I'm not saying that because I wrote them. They're great prayers. They hit where it matters most. And they're steps and startings and entry points to walking in freedom. 
And so I know, I told you, this book gets in our business, doesn't it? It just gets in our business. It's like, I kind of want to just go through life and hang out. And then Paul's just like, there, and you're like, oh, man, you're in my business. Man, you're stepping on my toes. I don't like it. I don't like you stepping on my toes in this way. But don't we want this to get in our business? If our end game is to be free and to experience grace, which leads to peace, don't we want this to get in our business? I sure do. And I hope you do as well. And we do it because we want to be able to, as I started at the very beginning of the series, live freely and lightly. Sounds good, doesn't it? That's the end game. There's a path to get there, and it's not always easy, and we've seen some of that not always easy today. Will you pray with me? Father, what powerful words from the Apostle Paul. And they hit at such a, a, a core issue. It's an issue that still exists in the church today, in this local assembly and in the worldwide assembly, the mixing of law and grace. And Father, my prayer for each and every one here in this room and everyone out in the lobby, everyone out in the coffee shop, everyone online, wherever they may be tuning in from either now or watching or listening to the audio later, that there would pre- be, prayer would be, Father, I desire to be free. And I didn't realize I was wrestling with the law. With expectation, with performance. Let me lay that aside so I can first Learn of your grace so that down the line I may learn what it means to actually live and move and breathe in you and to do as only you can lead. I trust this to you today. We trust this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.